In today's episode, you'll hear my conversation with David Willis. David is a bushcraft teacher, and to meet with him, I travelled to the outskirts of London and into a small woodland where we sat by the fire, we baked bread, we boiled tea, we listened to the trees, we watched as a roe deer sprang past. And if you'd like to share this kind of experience, David and I will be meeting again on April 27th, along with our friend Ryan James, and hosting a small community gathering for people who want to reconnect with Earth and remember who they are. The details will be in a link in the show notes, or you can search for Finding the Woods Within on Eventbrite. And now, David Willis. Sit by the base of a tree, your back up against the bark, feel the strength of the tree, look up at the tree and wonder what it's seen, who else has been there. What does it mean to let yourself grow wild? When we remember that we ourselves are nature, what possibilities unfold? How might we reimagine who we are? How might we reinvent our world? In this podcast, I meet with people who live in connection with nature, weaving these interviews into my own journey of personal rewilding. I share the joys and struggles of living a wilder life, as well as coaching tools and practice you can use as you return to your own true nature. Hello and welcome to Let Yourself Grow Wild. I am here by the campfire with David Willis, who is a teacher of bushcraft and wilderness skills. David, welcome to the podcast. Hello, thank you. Um, would you like to start by telling us about this land that we're in today and the nature around us? Yeah, I'd love to. It's, um, where we are sitting at the moment, we're under a canopy of a tarpauling, right? And we've got a campfire in front of us. We've got a wooden tripod and a kettle hanging from the tripod over the fire. Um, and we've got a train just going past because we're not too far away from civilization. But all around us, we've got a myriad of broadleaf trees. We've got hornbeam and cherry and ash and oak. And then there's a few birds singing. There's a, you might hear it occasionally, there's a jenny wren not far away creating a nest or somewhere to hide away. There's a lovely green canopy over the top, all the leaves sheltering us from the sun. So it's a little cooler in here today. Um, yeah, it's just nice. It is. Calming place on the fire. And there's a few wisps of smoke off the fire and a lovely glowing of the larch. We've got larch in there that crackles away and produces beautiful embers. Um, yeah. It really, it's quite a special experience to be here and be sat by the fire. We're even baking some bread while we while we yep. talk, which I'm really looking forward to. So I, I introduced you, but would you like to tell us in your own words about the work that you do? Um, so this is, I, I teach bushcraft. I teach as in, I show people how to, to do things, but what's, what is bushcraft? And I'd say the, the main thing with bushcraft is learning, learning a few skills so that you feel confident in nature, in not necessarily the wilderness, but some, somewhere a little bit more remote, off the beaten track, a little different from perhaps just camping, but actually being out in the woods and then going, oh, the trees. And instead of just walking past them and ignoring them or not being aware of them, learning about the trees, looking at the, the shapes, the bark, the leaves. So you're, you're learning a little bit more about nature and then maybe following a few tracks so you can see what's happening. In these woods, We've got a lot of tracks from the badgers, so there is there is simply lots and lots and lots of badgers here, um, and it's lovely to just see where they've been. Things that I teach is then how to light a campfire because that's such a primal thing, and there's different ways of doing that. Everything from using a spark to rubbing sticks together to make a fire, and it is very doable. The latter, the rubbing the sticks um, to make a fire, and. Uh, and then cook, 
over that fire. As Alyssa said, we're, we're going to be baking some bread today, but it could be cooking things on a stick. Um, and how to make home in the woods is a key thing of, the, of bushcraft, whether it's a, a leafy den, stroke shelter, or whether how to put a tarp up, maybe sling a hammock between a couple of trees. And then it's moving on to some craft, and maybe you I don't know, rustle up some nice tasty soup in a bowl over the fire and you want to eat it but what better way perhaps to do it from a wooden spoon so you're learning how to use a knife to craft items uh, maybe make a spatula so that you can fry some things or a spoon to eat your soup or a butter knife to put butter onto your freshly baked bread um, so it's lots of sort of campfire cooking whittling crafts learning about the trees the plants nature there's probably a bunch of other stuff in there too it's really just feeling reasonably confident and quiet and, and most if not all the people that join me in the woods whether it's families individuals or small groups are generally coming here to to learn a little to have some fun and to just kind of relax and be and just gaze at the fire sit quietly and it's it's more of an experience although they are in fact learning lots of things as I make sure there's things that they're learning along the way but it's it's very much a bushcraft or wilderness experience yeah that's I'm, kind of how yeah. I describe it I'm interested in to digging into this that train again into the idea of that experience I was thinking about this as I was traveling here that when I've so we've we've connected via Instagram and I've, yep. I've you know you post these very simple videos of you know the fire or the, the kettle bubbling next to the fire and I every time I see them I have this feeling and I've been trying to sort of articulate it and I feel I feel it very strongly being with you here today and it the best way I can describe it is a sense of relief there's a sense of a kind of a really deep relaxing that takes place and it's almost a kind of internal feeling and it, I think it has to do with just coming back to <laughs> the simplicity of, of of lighting a fire or watching a fire the simplicity of a, a kettle boiling you use the word primal there yeah. and there's something for me about this sort of reconnection back to something very simple but also very profound and I, I don't know if I'm able to articulate it properly but there's it's sort of a sense of that's th that maybe that's all that's needed sometimes and particularly on somewhere like Instagram where it's so busy and there's so much happening and very often my experience of you know scrolling through Instagram is just a sort of constant feeling of I should be doing this or I should be doing that my life yeah. should look like this uh, I need to learn about that and I see your posts and it just feels like oh you know actually the things that make us who we are are actually quite basic and quite primal does, I don't, does that make yeah. any sense to you? I think it's a few yes I mean the stuff I post on Instagram I, tr it, I only put a small video or a picture and a, a few words to go with it if it feels right to do it and um, you could almost call it I, I joked with a guy who helps me in my marketing from time to time and I call it soft marketing as much as it's not really the idea is just to see if we can evoke a few thoughts about how things could be so that people might go hmm that seems nice. I quite like the idea of spending some time by a campfire. He seems like a reasonable sort of chap. I could learn how to whittle a spoon and see how it goes. But, but there's other bits when I, so I do family bushcraft. And when I, usually the younger ones, this one's for, but we build a leafy shelter. So that, that, that whilst it's kids wanting to build a den, but we're building a leafy shelter, so we build the den part. There's loads of sticks, and then we gradually cover it up with leaves. So it becomes a little home in the woods. And actually, they are practical. They are very practical. But you've just built yourself as a family unit, a little home in the woods. And then together, they learn how to light a fire and have a small campfire. So they can cook some sausages or toast a marshmallow or whatever it is. Just cook something over a campfire. 
So they're, they're then eating something. And then meanwhile, we'll have the kettle over the campfire, just as we are today, bake some bread. So you're such simple ingredients. You know, you've got some, some flour, we make up the yeast separately, we bind them together, we make a dough, we knead them. And it's very basic and you're just cooking it over a fire. And then a little later, after maybe we've been for a walk around the woods to look at the trees and learn and see where the badgers have been, we have our freshly baked bread with probably another hot chocolate or a coffee or a tea or something. So they're very basic. And the other one that really cropped up a few years ago now, I was running a course with probably about four people and we were doing a bread baking course again. And I had a number of different recipes for us to make. And it was around the lunchtime period and the people, we were waiting for the bread to prove. So I had another recipe that we could do. But I realised that everyone was just quite happy, relaxing, gazing at the fire and just, just kind of being, really. So it provided the space. So I checked. I said, so we could bake some other bread if we wanted to, or we could just sit. There was no noise. They just nodded heads. They were happy. They were peaceful. And so it, it is one of those kind of less is more moments when people say, they want to experience some things. There's, there's definitely a real need and sometimes when people reflect just as they're leaving after being with me in the woods for the day maybe with their children maybe they're on a course maybe it's just with a few friends and as we leave the woods to head back up the track to find their car to go home they'll go gosh you just, you just can't believe that we've only been there you know a few hours and they're just like you they were taken somewhere else. It's quite interesting. It's just, it's, it's, not, it's not contrived. It just is as it is. So I sort of provide the space. Um, yeah, we make a fire. We, we chat about things just as we are today, really. Um, with just as many trains. And, and we make things and we do stuff and we learn a little and we share space in the woods. And then they go home. And then sometimes, they come back again with another family member or friends so it is I think there's um I think that's a key part whether it's the bushcraft element is definitely wanting to go to the woods and stay there it's a huge difference from survival if you like so survival being get me out of here get me home um, some of the skills are very similar but the whole the whole reason for being there is completely different. One is I need to survive because, you know, something awful's happened. And maybe maybe it's another way of looking at it. God, something awful has happened. I, I just need somewhere peaceful to be. Um, but I want to know that I can light a fire and that I can do it successfully. And then I can sit there near it and gaze into the flames and think about things and maybe cook and maybe stay a while, maybe build a shelter or how do I how do I tie up a hammock between a couple of trees so it doesn't fall down and I can just relax and just let the day go by or snuggle up in a sleeping bag and stay a night you know that type of thing yeah I think there are so few opportunities to just be now and you know sitting here the woods are really peaceful today it's quite still and I feel like I could happily happily sit here for hours but I I think that's also it's interesting you're talking about the kind of nature of bushcrafts you know you're comparing it to survival skills I think it's also different to there are a lot of experiences now of coming into nature which is you know an interest that we both share helping people to have those experiences and one thing I find is that it it can be quite um commoditized it can be quite sort of um it becomes another thing to buy, another thing to tick off the list, to get the, the photo for Instagram. That yes, There are yes. some, you know, offerings out there where it's almost like, right, well, we've done our nature bit. You know, we've, we've got that done. And I think there's a sense when you describe bushcraft of it's not something that can happen too quickly. It, it sort of, I don't know, requires a certain amount of unwinding. I just thought it was beautiful who you shared. Yeah, I think... It doesn't have to be. I mean, there are people who provide bushcraft courses 
and some particularly good ones that are friends of mine where you, you learn a lot in a day. But learning a lot in a day is, is the primary objective and to practice some of those skills because the expectation is that then you take those skills somewhere else and you sit quietly in a woodland at another time. So the difference here is that because a lot of people aren't, don't really make the time to sit in a wood and just enjoy it and look at the leaves or watch a squirrel run up a tree or wonder what that bird is that's calling or any of those sorts of things. It provides that space because I'm sure I can't be the only one who's perhaps done a course because they're really infused about it, only perhaps not necessarily to practice it. You know, so actually providing the space really makes a difference. I think one, oh, a good few years ago, I was teaching some scout leaders um, and one guy came back and essentially did the same course three times. Each time it was slightly different, um, but essentially the, the same things were taught. And I chatted to, in fact, actually I saw him at um, a gathering of people a year or two later. And he came up to me, said, David, he said, he said that those, those, those experiences in the woods and, and learning, he said they were life changing. Now, I sort of recall, a bit, I was a bit feeling a bit embarrassed thinking how, how, on earth, how, could, how could what I provided with some, you know, some fire lighting and rubbing sticks together and camping out in the woods, how could that have been life changing? It turned out for him, it, boy was it, because he'd never done it before at all. He was a scout leader, but he'd never actually learnt any of these things. And then he took his young son out, they bought some stuff and then they went out and wild camped and they they made a little campfire so they did all these skills together so it was it was life-changing for him and his son because they never thought of doing it and then they loved it and they go off to all these gatherings now and and spend their time doing it because otherwise you know they they probably wouldn't know that they, they could have gone on a course and he could have learned a few things but it was the it was the experience it's, it, it, that made the difference that made him want to come back and do it again but then wanting to share it with his son. So that's, I think often we, we're very keen to, you said commoditize, look at all the component parts or there's a, a real need to add value for whatever your service or product is, or we've got to add more value in. But in, I think, I think it, generally it seems to work, adding more value in this case, certainly for me is actually, is sometimes doing doing less and it's giving them more space to perhaps practice and just be it's giving people a bit of space which we yeah too many people are in such a rush um, and as wonderful as lots of social media things are and after all we wouldn't have got chatting if it wasn't for Instagram or unlikely to perhaps um, it also tries to get you to rush off and do all sorts of things that you feel you must do and tick them all off um, whereas those that just want to experience life a little, I think that's far more beneficial. I think experience is really the key word there, that we forget that experience. We might be keen to acquire the skills or, or get the knowledge or, you know, have, I don't know, ticked, the, ticked that off the list, but we, 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 we increasingly, I think, have, get the benefit of just experiencing something. An example that comes to mind is... I, uh, I was working with a client. We went on retreat. I won't, I won't say in what country we went. We went on a retreat and we were walking in this beautiful landscape in the mountains. And, um, well, actually, we were, we were in a sort of a chalet doing, doing this retreat. And then we, you know, scheduled in walking, walking time. Yeah. And it was about sort of four or six hours. And I thought, that's going to be amazing. We're just going you know, to walk through the landscape, soak up the landscape together and really experience it. And we walked at the fastest pace I've ever experienced walking in my entire life oh. and talked a lot of business and, you know, had, had good conversations. But, you know, at the end of the day, we might as well have just been on Zoom or been, in, you know, in a meeting yeah. room. I mean, maybe maybe we soaked up some of it sort of accidentally, but it just really got me thinking about, you know, well, we might, you know, and it's great that, you know, I think it's a wonderful company. I, that 
a lot of companies are never going to the mountains with their teams to be in nature but we've got to remember the being in nature part you know I feel like it's not just enough to sort of have rushed rushed through yeah very much I remember an experience when I um, did my monthly wooden walks and one lady got in touch uh, sorry, they're woodland walks for families. They're family-friendly woodland walks. Yeah, it more become apparent in a moment. And she phoned me up to say she's quite fit and she goes out for regular walks. And will that be okay if she joins me from one of my walks? Well, absolutely. And when she came, I did point out, I said, so your hour walk next time, with any luck, if this has worked, it'll be at least two hours. And she looked at me really puzzled. But the point was, is that you'll walk and you'll be looking at things. And maybe you'll look at a tree and go, ooh, now, how did David describe that tree? Is it this one? And you'll, you'll, be, you'll pause for a while and just look at the tree and have a think about it. Hug it if you want to, but it's fine, which is lovely. But get close, touch it, sort of. And it, she really, she struggled with that. She was just thinking, this is a, you know, it's a paced walk. And I said, you know, this is families and it's young children. So we'll be going slow um, because the idea is not how far we go in physical distance, it's how much we might learn about the trees or just appreciate them and just go, wow, look at that tree, isn't it? I wonder how old it is, look how big it is, or wonder how it, what stories it could tell. And they're like, oh, so it's, yes, so it doesn't matter about being fast. And sometimes you just and sit down. So it, it is, it's lots of different... It affects people in different ways. I think on the whole, most people that have come out here are generally looking to slow down a little. And that's whether they're on their own, in a small group. And actually, actually, coming back to me, remind me, I haven't done them for a while, but after the first and second lockdown particularly, I did a whole load of, a bit like this, one, nobody's recording anything, but a one-to-one -one campfire conversations. And I probably did about 30 because, you know, it was all really weird, wasn't it? COVID, we're all kind of not supposed to be seeing anybody. And I thought, well, this, this is all a bit weird. How about we're out in the woods and we have a campfire? Most people I had either met or chatted to on social media for a while. A few I didn't know, so that was different again. I invited them out and it was just people were coming, coming out and we were just chat the only really weird one was one guy who was a professional speaker and he said ah, really sounds like a really great idea what will we be talking about so I've, I'm sorry I can't see this bit I've just put my hand up to my face <laughs> but I was aghast and said ah oh, right well we'll we'll just chat about anything that comes to mind you know we'll life the universe anything nothing the point is it's just providing a bit of space so we can chat and we had all sorts of interesting conversations with people about about things not, sometimes a bit profound not particularly just life in general what it was like um, so it was lovely to just like this share some space by a campfire have a cup of tea or a coffee or something and just chat and those people just went yeah it was really fascinating just to have lots of people. I need to do some more of those, actually. It'd be quite good. Yeah, they sound, they sound wonderful. I think it's... Um, I just wanted to say, I suppose, for listeners, that uh, there's no... It, you know, it's not a shaming thing to say that people struggle with this. You know, like, thinking of your professional speaker, it, we have become very accustomed to structure and um, knowing, you know, knowing in advance what's going to happen, planning yeah. and having agendas and maximizing our time and being as efficient as possible like your you know your walker wanting to sort of get it done and it's it's hard I think to to start to step back from that I know I really struggled with that and one of the practices that I talk about in um, an earlier podcast is slow walking so just practicing even a few minutes a day of just walking as slowly as you can similarly to your um you know your woodland walks just how slowly can you walk and just really take everything in and when I started doing that you know I felt like every cell in my body was screaming at me to move faster you know to make better wow. use of my time and it I really struggled with it and I've seen it when I've I've 
hosted retreats and I've often start with that practice and you know people really it can make you feel very uncomfortable so you know if you're listening to this and and it's sounding like something that you you know you want to do more of that just being and just being open to possibilities you know go easy on yourself because for a lot of us that's a a big transition from how life looks and I've, I've found just a little bit of a time and sort of you know getting our nervous systems used to slowing down and you know just sitting for a while just even you know maybe just having a cup of tea and taking the time to really experience that cup of tea um can start in lots of small ways but it it can be hard to come to which maybe brings me actually nicely to opening up to asking a bit more about your story because it would be easy to sit here and assume that you sort of were born in the woods and uh, grew up here by the fire and you know have have just always lived um I suspect you don't actually live here full time as as well as much as this sort of this story it feels like it sitting here with you today um I'd be very curious to hear about yeah what what life before looked like yeah it reminded me of a a friend years ago actually in a different world, which I'll, I'll come to in a minute, but yeah, she she um, sent me this little book. We we both worked in in tech, in technology and data and analytics and stuff like that, and we would always be caught, be the ones that would like the challenging projects. But she, because I loved being out in the woods, and this is before I even did much in the way of training and stuff like that. She's got this little book, and it's called Caveman Dave. <laughs> so yeah, I probably I sh- probably should have been. I probably should have been in a cave, really. So take, I mean, right, I don't know which way. From the beginning, I can remember as a, as a, as a child, I'd, when I was little, loved playing in the woods. We had a bit of a woodland at the end of our garden, so we used to build camps. And neighbours used to get upset because we'd, we'd sort of found somebody's old wooden garage doors, but they were bright yellow. So it looked like an eyesore at the end of the garden, so we had to sort of cover it up with everything. So used, this is when we were... Six, seven, eight—I don't know. Little ones. We used to. This is when you know days when you, in the sixties, and you go and sort of cycle off to a local park somewhere, on your own, just you and your friends, and you're just gone for the day. And um, not far from here, we used to cycle somewhere called Burnham Beaches. Actually, it was a bit scary. We was told to be back before dark, and many, many years later, um, in a witchcraft museum in Boss Castle, he found out far more about the weird goings on in in uh, in Burnham Beaches. There was a there was a coven. Enough said. <laughs> so we were we always were good. We did get home before dark. So always those sorts of things. Um, pretty rubbish at school. Didn't do very good. I can remember a time when my mother said, "For goodness' sake, David, it doesn't work. Get yourself a job. Join the army or something." Anyway. That afternoon, that's what I did. It would only, many years later, it was just sort of like a figure of speech thing. It wasn't supposed to be join the army, but that's what I did. So I joined the army. I was in the Royal Engineers for a number of years and did all sorts of stuff from, yeah, blowing up bridges and surveying jungles and stuff like that. And just to point out, didn't learn any of the sort of bushcrafty, you don't learn any of those things in the army. You don't do any of it at all. So we did that sort of stuff. Um, and I was just learnt to be a surveyor, so I worked in the building trade, so I was a surveyor for a while, got a little bit fed up with that, and then went off and worked in retail up on Tottenham Court Road, which is brilliant fun, very wheeling and dealing. I've still got some of the cameras from that I bought back then and selling them to various celebrities, and that was always interesting, quite a... Yeah, it was very... Very sharp practice if you ever go to buy stuff on Tottenham Court Road. You have to, yeah, don't try to, uh, don't try to win out on any of the people in the shops. They, they know how it works. We had some fun on that. And then eventually I got myself a job as a trainee programmer. And then 30 years of technology and consulting and programming and building things and project managing, working on everything from warehouse systems to nuclear power plants to police criminal intelligence all sorts of techie stuff and then of that 30 years about half of it was um, freelance analytics marketing playing with data so not remotely like being in the woods but maybe 
I don't know. It's, it's interesting. They're both very creative. So here in the woods, I, I love making things. So we're, we're sitting around. We're sitting on some rather strange contraption chairs. <laughs> I fell off one earlier. Yeah. I'm um, so, um, <laughs> My fault, not your crafting. Yeah, yeah. The different bits and make things. And the difference was with technology, it was making things with software. That's the only real difference. So to some degree, to me, it seems very similar. So I've done different stuff like that. And then really far more fun, the bushcrafty thing. I think the first course I did was about 20 years ago. So back in 2003 with some people who are now friends up in, up in Cumbria in the Lake District. Um, and spent a week on the side of a tarn. And actually, it was interesting. Looking back, we learnt a lot. There was a lot of skills, but actually it was quite a lot of time because it was done over a week to relax. And we were there for a week, and it was in a September, I think. And it wasn't like it was this September. It was a lot colder. Uh, but we were getting a bit grimy, so we had a sweat lodge. And we made this... So it was for, where? What's a sweat lodge? It's like a lump, a load of sticks that are made to make into a tent with a tarpaulin over the top and we have a big campfire and we get some rocks and we get them really hot and we carefully move them inside and then we put some herbs on and some water and it's a steamy sweaty space where you're sitting on the floor somebody tells you some stories and we kind of just relax and just feel this moment and listen to the stories and we're out in this wild wood in the middle of nowhere in, in Cumbria and then we're all feeling cleansed from the heat, sweating everything out, and then dive into the tarn. There was a lot of screaming because it was seriously cold. And then you're craw crawling out of the, uh, the tarn and the whole of your body tingling. Gosh, I must go and do that again. And it, everything was just brilliant. It was really wonderful. So things like that are really cool. And then... I was still, at this time, I was still doing my, my technology and analytics and working with data and all that sort of stuff, telling people what was going on by using information in their systems, early AI systems and stuff like that. Um, and then back in so 2009-10, I spotted an opportunity to do a year-long bushcraft leadership course. So once a month, you spend a week in the woods learning all sorts of stuff in the wilds of West Sussex. Um, well, it was just a fabulous experience throughout the whole year. So you, you know, spent a week in the snow, which was brilliant, and camped out. And that that was kind of chilly. I can remember in the morning having to literally break your boots off the ground because they were frozen to the ground. It was that cold, um, and cooking food and having a nice big fire to keep warm in the evening, and then learning about the trees. So we were learning about the trees in the winter time. So you were looking at the twigs, so no leaves. I can remember it became springtime. You go, I've got a leaf. I've no idea what this plant is because I didn't study leaves. I studied twigs. So gradually then learn about those and about plants and about crafts. Cutting an ash tree down and making bows and arrows. Um, how to rub sticks together to make fire. Boy, is that a primal thing. It's just brilliant, the fact that you can use a knife to craft some sticks to make a set of sticks that you can then rub together and create fire you don't get much more primal than that what it's a very that, special what thing. does that feel like in your body <sighs> well when you eventually achieve it ha, that's really special along the way boy you can have lots of frustrations there's lots to learn i had done some previously so that made it a little easier than some people's experience there was one guy who took about six months before he could get it to work but it yeah what does it how does it feel no one's really asked that before it just takes you back you think i wonder what it was like how did people make fire this wasn't, you know, rubbing sticks together isn't the only way. You can do it with some sparks, with stones and things like that, and flint. But it does, it's sort of, it is, it's a different form of connection. In the same way as, you know, you could, you could use a metal spoon. Or you could carve a spoon and then use that. Or as we sit here, the kettle is sitting over the fire on a wooden tripod. 
You could have a steel tripod so it won't burn, but you could make one. So it's just different. Um, and you, know, you could use a match. I can't remember the last time I used a match to light a fire, actually. It's yeah, more often than not, it's a spark. So if you're from a, something called a fire steel, so you create a few sparks, usually that's what it is. But occasionally it's just nice to rub some sticks together. And there's, there's lots of different ways of doing that. And it really is. It's just like, it, it sort of takes you back. I think the, only, the other thing that is close to that was I've been fortunate enough to do a couple of trips to Africa. I spent a couple of weeks with the Maasai in Kenya. Um, and seeing how life was for them. So we, we, worked, we learned a little few bushcrafty things, but it wasn't really about that. It was about learning about the people, their culture, how they did things. And whilst it was a very, very hard life, it was, it was simple, which is what you were talking about earlier. It was simple, um, non-complex. They had things to do each day. I can remember one time, um, most of the time in our camp, we had a small fire with a pot supported by three rocks and a little fire underneath to heat, um, heat up whatever we were going to have for a drink or cooking food. And then one day we sort of just grabbed a log and just put another log on the fire and had this real sense of, was that okay to do it? It was really weird. Well, let's put another log on the fire. And there was a sense that maybe I wasn't supposed to do that yet. And the following day, Jerusa, one of the lovely uh, ladies in the village, she was out gathering the firewood. She was quite a bit older than me and she came back with this huge pile of sticks on her back that's when you realize that the firewood was gathered over the, the surrounding miles and that it wasn't because it was a very dusty dry environment and actually having some firewood you know you only used it for certain purposes and we think it was because we wanted to feel a spiritual connection around the campfire but actually the work involved in getting the wood was significant and so actually it felt as if they didn't do they didn't they didn't have a fire unless there was a real purpose and they would have a small fire if they were gathering around it but that was it or we were cooking so it was quite a quite an, op an eye opener to realize you don't just stick another log on the fire you have to appreciate gathering it and it's here when we I go and cut wood and I've had somebody in the woods here and they've seen a log stack and they've said oh can we just take some logs I said well no there's, there's been some work involved in producing that so no please leave the logs there you know um and then similarly, a few years after that, I was fortunate to spend a month in Namibia with the Bushmen. So we just spent in the wilds of northern Namibia. It just, that was a real coming home bit. It was really very hard to describe. It's almost like a primal thing again, but it's like taking you back. Um, have you been to Africa? I've only been to South Africa. South yeah. Africa. This was, because it was just miles from anywhere, we'd, we'd had about 100 kilometres along a dusty track before we got to the village. Um, and it was, yeah. It's, it just felt like, yeah, you felt like you'd been there before. Yeah, in some past life. Mm. It, was, it was, yeah, magical, really mm. was. Looking for, yeah, need to go back sometime. And spending time with people there, um, and how they and how they ran their lives, um, you know, they're kind of twenty-first century bushmen. A few have got phones, not many. Um, it's, there's not as much hunting and gathering as there used to be. They've got a lot of restrictions on what they're allowed to do because powers that be are changing their world. Um, yeah, it's magical, and we're just there spending time. Um, the spirituality of the place, the people, their singing, their rhythms, the children. We did a lot of, lot of activities and making stuff, and we were processing hides to make leather. So some of the children would be helping us with those, and we were making tools. So we heated up metal over the campfire to make a small axe to do things, and made bows and arrows. Um, it's quite chuffed, the first one I made. I was copying one of the village elders' bows and I made my tiny little arrow. So a Bushman bow, 
looks like a child's bow and arrow. In fact, many children will probably not want it because it just looks so basic. But it fires a very tiny arrow that has um, poison in the arrow tip, and that's the thing that kills the animal. So it's like a hypodermic that's fired. And so I made all these pieces, and then somebody had made a little model of a, a dick dick, a small antelope, and I had to go with, very tentatively with this tiny, fragile little bow and and fired the first arrow and it fired and it went straight and it hit the target and was like yeah brilliant and then i handed it over to the children so that they could have a go with it too and it was brilliant fun so um anyway yeah probably went off a little bit but it's that primal connection and i think well it's interesting yeah. that you came from talking about i feel like a theme of our conversation has been connection so my sense is that what bushcraft gives you is a real connection to place and to experience and then like you say it sort of takes you it takes you back somehow and you know the interesting talking about then the you know the opportunities you've had to to live with original peoples who you know who do have it seems have a much stronger connection to earth to land to nature to materials even yeah. you know the way you described the firewood you know we're we're very much in sort of consumer mode where we just you know it's understandable that someone would see your firewood and just say oh can I have some of that because that's what we do all the time isn't it yeah. we pick things up all Off the time we, we take we take and we, and we take and um, we rarely sort of stop to think about where things have come from the effort that's gone into them the work behind them yeah, I think there's, yeah, in a way, it's, it's, it's some of the school, the, the bushcraft parts can lead you, it provides you with some of the skills that that you can do those things. But then, then it's, it's having a journey and spending time with people who, sometimes they call it primitive skills. So within the sort of almost like a Venn diagram of different skills. So you've got the more survival, you've got the more bushcraft and there's an overlap. And then you've got what's sometimes called primitive skills or primal skills, and those ones would go off into animal processing, uh, tanning hides and leather, uh, maybe making a spiritual drum, understanding more ceremonies. Um, you mentioned retreats and retreats and circle time and talking around the campfire. Um, and those are different again. So I think they fit. There's that, yeah, that sort of Venn diagram. If you can imagine those, I'm doing my hands here. It doesn't work so well on the podcast, does it? But it, it's those three things. You've got the more, the core skills. You've got things that are a little bit more actually feeling you're creating something. And then you've got the life skills and seeing how people are. Um, and so a number of these things provide you with an insight into what it's like but then actually spending time with people is the best and I think I think actually over particularly over recent years in many different guises the bushcraft is a, has, has been an enabler to do things and get people to come out or learn or do stuff but it's learning from other people even with children so in um, I work with a special needs school um, and one group, they're a small group, they're all autistic in their own different ways. And there's so much you can learn from people. So whether it's tribal people or local people and just listening. So one fascinating lesson, I think it sort of ties in. There's one young lad and we put a hammock up. I said, would you use, he's about 10, no, he's about 12. And would you like to be in the hammock? And he looked a bit, wasn't sure. And I said, it's fine. If you'd like to go and have it later, you just let me know later. You don't need to do it now. It'll be there for later. And just, just ask me. And then later on in our session, he said, would you ask me that question again? So I paused. And I said, would you like to go and have it? He said, yes, I would. And so we did that. And it was, it's, it was a lovely connection with this young chap. He has a very different way of, of being and talking because that's just how he is. And, but at the same time, you think this, all I'd had to do is listen and give him the opportunity to do it again later. 
and that I would be available and that I would help him and show it later. And you, wouldn't it be good if we could just do that more? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. So, David, I feel like I could talk to you for hours, but I'm very aware that I want to put that bread on the heat <laughs> so yeah, that we, we can enjoy it we, soon. Yeah. So I'm going to move to... So at the end of each podcast, I either myself offer or ask my guests to offer a kind of prompt to mm. people who are listening who've maybe been moved or inspired by the conversation that we've had and the ideas that you've shared. And just maybe, you know, some simple idea or thought or practice that they might be able to try if this kind of way of of being and connecting is something that appeals to them. Is there a prompt you might offer yeah, us? Yeah, I, I could probably put two or three in actually, but one, one is the thing that most people probably can do, not everybody's fortunate, but you just wait for the train to go by. No, that's not the one, but we can. No, the, the thing I would suggest is finding a green space. And even if it's a winter's day when you finally decide to listen to the podcast again and do something, and maybe it's not that green, maybe it's a bit murky, but just find a space in a park, in a woodland, by the coast, by a river, somewhere where... Maybe there's a bird singing or there's a fish swimming or there's just something where it's a bit away from a bricks and mortar. There is somewhere. And sometimes if you're in a city and you're struggling, you might be able to find something by a canal. Or when you're out and you're going for a walk and wondering where this green space is on the way to walk or where you're cycling, See whether there's something growing out of a wall. There's a plant that's coming out of the cracks or crevices or something somewhere. Find something that's green and just spend a few minutes there and just have a closer look. Touch it, smell it, look at it. Um, but if you can find, you know, if there's a park, just see if you can get out somewhere and just sit. If there's some trees, I think all the better. Sit by the base of a tree your back up against the bark, feel the strength of the tree, look up at the tree and wonder what it's seen, who else has been there. So I think the green space and just trying to do that is the one thing that we can all do and we can, including me, I don't do it as often as I should even. Here I am sitting in the wood and I still don't do this enough on my own. So we can all do that. If we take it a little bit more, a little further, Find somewhere where you can have, um, being careful with my language, have a small campfire, just a small one. Think about, you know, we can't just have a fire anywhere, but so try to think about that, be mindful of where you're having it. But if you can spend a time by a small campfire um, and then just gaze into its flames and just watch it, I think that's really cool. And then finally, within any of those things, whether it's by a campfire or whether it's in a green space, share it with somebody else. And you could just be sitting quietly together, perhaps chat about something green, trees, nature, and what you've noticed, and try not to talk about the day job and everything else you've got to do today, tomorrow, yesterday, what we did last week. Just focus on something you can see and be inquisitive. So green space, maybe a fire if you're fortunate, and then share it with somebody else. That's perfect. And final question, the podcast is called Let Yourself Grow Wild. What does that mean to you? Wow, let yourself grow wild. In a way, I think it's much of what you've just, what we've just been saying, or what I just said about those spaces. So grow wild. Wow, so quite a. God, you save the hardest ones for last. Don't you? <laughs> grow wild. I think it. It's trying to figure out what 
life means to you, I guess. Because wild could mean wild in nature. It could be wild as in crazy, I don't know, parachuting, jumping off mountains, hang gliding, swimming. Who knows? Um, but maybe it's finding a space so that you can figure out what makes your heart sing. Some people have a job where it really does work, and I'm fortunate. I, I do have lovely moments, and it's lovely to share this space, and I make a modest living. Modest? Yes, a modest living from what I do. Um, but maybe it's time to separate. You know, sometimes we do things. It's not about work-life balance. It's just about having a life and find some things. So being wild... Yeah, I think really get out in nature. Gosh, it really is. It's got to be the right thing. There's lots of people and that sometimes it's crazy and you look on Instagram and you see some don't think, oh, I can't do that. But you could, there's nothing to stop you maybe just going for a walk. Maybe you can camp out in a, somewhere, overnight somewhere. If you're worried about that, but you're lucky to have a garden. I think quite a lot of people did it within lockdowns and they just, camped out in the garden great do it you can find a river go for a swim check the surfer's guide first make sure it's reasonably clean just get out and do some stuff breathe fresh air let your mind wander dream a little i would say dream a little or dream a lot don't mind just dream have some thoughts and then figure out what you could do to put some of those things in place um, yeah, I think that's what living wild is, getting out there, doing stuff. Um, it might take a long time if you become older like me, <laughs> then great, as long as you do it. So if you're young, drill, just go and embrace it when you're young. And if it takes a while because you've got other priorities, things that you must do, families you've got to look after, then you have to do those things. But still, find some time because if you can find some time to connect a little bit more with nature, spend time gazing at trees, gazing into a campfire, sharing the time with others, you will be the better for it. And so everything else you do, I would suggest, will be better. You'll be better with your kids, you'll be better with your family, you'll be better at work. People say, wow, you seem pretty cool today. What's happened in you? Oh, I just went for a walk. Would you like to come with a walk for me next time? Who knows? I wish I'd known some of this when I was younger. <laughs> thank you. Oh, thank you so much for, for sharing your wisdom with us, David. Um, let's, let's get to lunch. That sounds good. Does the fire need a little... Yeah, I'll put, a, put some more logs on the fire. I do want this bread on the fire.